0: Next on Making Sense of the Madness, the two red pills, Jen and Sophie, are with us to discuss election integrity in Utah. And Chris Paul will report on the George Soros-funded fake arrest of Reps AOC and Omar. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda right now. video from the invasion at the border, something you have to see with your own eyes to believe, just breaking past the National Guard there. Well, switching gears, we do have two great guests today, Jen and Sophie. The two red pills are friends who despise corruption, fight evil, and defend freedom. Their deep love of freedom, God and truth has motivated these two Utah moms to help stop the tyranny that has encroached on their rights. Welcome to the show, Jen and Sophie. How are you?
1: Thanks for having us.
0: So tell me about how you guys got together and what was the first, you know, bit of tyranny that you decided to fight together.
2: I think Sophie and I have been fighting fighting corruption wherever we've seen it our whole lives. We kind of come wired for this, but we got together last year around the mask the mask COVID situation. Our kids were being abused in the schools by you know having to breathe their own, you know carbon dioxide and other things. Uh, we that's how we kind of met was it was through that whole endeavor there fighting that and the education system. And we realized quickly that a lot of this is stemming back you know, to the election process. And there were some groups here that were looking into elections, but we weren't really seeing any any results with that. They had moved on from 2020 and we weren't willing to let it go. So Sophie and I shifted our focus a little bit to making sure that we preserved the data um, of the elections and started really digging into this. And that's where all the trouble started.
0: <laughs> okay, well, what was the result when you started fighting the mask mandates?
1: Um, well, it seemed like all hell broke loose. Um, our our current governor, Spencer Cox, um, him and the Utah State um, S- Superintendent, uh, Sidney Dixon, they signed a multi-million dollar contract. And the very first contractual agreement in this contract was universally mask school children. There are several other con- um, contractual agreements that are, are just frightening. Um, but it was through
2: 2023. And mind you, this is back in 2020. So we were like, wow, four years you've agreed to mask our kids. Like, how do you even know what's going to happen in those times? Why would you sell our kids out for money?
1: Yes. So so by reading this contract and realizing that our governor and our, 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 our education system has taken the money from the federal government and therefore they, you know, you, every time you sign a contract, you're giving up some amount of, of your rights because you have to honor that, that agreement. And so we, we understood the wrath that we were receiving from our local um, government and our state government as we tried to fight this mask mandate and we were successful it was a huge victory for salt lake county and you know what's interesting is that after
2: this salt lake county mask mandate was overturned um the federal government came after um, our governor Spencer Cox and threatened him with lawsuits because he had broken this agreement. So this was a much bigger deal than just getting our kids to, you know, to have their their rights and the parents to have the rights to choose for their children how they wanted to handle their medical treatments. This was a literal federal lawsuit and threats against Utah. So that's kind of what started the trouble that direction.
1: Yes, and just just a little uh, side note. I currently have criminal charges against me because I spoke out at a. Public school board meeting um, out of turn, and so I have been charged with disrupting a public meeting. And I never raised my voice, never threatened anyone, never used profanity. So that's kind of the current climate of our state and our country, I guess.
0: Yeah, you guys really took the heat. The reason why I wanted to talk about the mask mandate is because you have a model, you have a uh, a way of getting things done, and it involves, you know experiencing that heat from the government and then you have this victory under your belt so you're going to keep repeating you know pressuring uh until you can get more freedom for you your kids your community so can you tell us specifically what happened you said you the local government you got pushback from them what did that look like and then what was the specific victory how did how did that victory happen when they overturned it what did that look like specifically
2: well, I think the biggest weapon we have, besides our vote, is the access to public records. We were able to show that the statistics they were giving were were not legitimate. The number of hospital beds they were claiming were full, we would call the hospitals and be like, this is not accurate. The number of emails, thousands that they claimed to receive with people saying, keep our kids in masks. Sophie found out there were like 12 and and two of which were for <laughs> to remove the matter I mean so you know at some point they exposed themselves and that public records that we were <clears throat> that we were starting to dig into was what really kind of started triggering them because all of a sudden they're realizing oh my gosh these two moms are getting our paper trail of these things, not just for COVID, but for other information. And that's that was the problem. For example, one of the uh, requests that I had made for Salt Lake County about the election machines, they charged me almost $100,000 for just what amounted to a couple thousand emails eventually. Originally, they never said how many emails there were. They said I couldn't get a refund. They said it had to be paid up front. And my question was, these are illegal rates which I could prove, and how is this not extortion? And a year later, literally a year later um, in August, um, we still don't have the data, it's tied up in court. At the end of the day, we went through this whole appeals process probably four or five different times, realized they were charging me over 90% uh, uh, too high it ended up being a four thousand dollar request, not almost a hundred thousand. We got the records given to us in state records for free. And they turned around and Salt Lake County sued me to prevent me from getting the records yet again. So this is the climate again that we're dealing with here is they are they are scared that people are um getting access to, to their communications. It's the proof of the collusion and, and proof of the cover up.
1: Yeah, their gig is up.
0: Yeah, you really have a, a tactic that works there requesting that information, because when you catch them in the lie, that makes them legally liable and then they have to back off their their whole agenda. So the, great job on that. And it looks like you're using the same kind of records request tactic with the election integrity. Uh, tell us about how the Utah government is set up, because I understand it's it's different from most states.
1: Yes. So we, instead of having a Secretary of State, we have a Lieutenant Governor. And that poses a very interesting dynamic because the Governor and the Lieutenant Governor run on the same ticket. Um, That is a conflict of interest because our Lieutenant Governor runs our elections. So you have the Lieutenant Governor running the election of the Governor that they are on the same ticket for.
2: And it takes away checks and balances from an outside um, secretary of state, right? I mean, they, they directly directly beneath the governor, so it's it's a it's a mess that we started here in the 1970s, and it was uh, we have dug into it quite a bit. It was a, it was an intentional an intentional thing. Uh, to do and it's it's not it's working very well for them. We have a history of selected, not elected um, people here in Utah. There are uh, lines and lines, and even at the county level, but even at the highest level of the governor, we have governors who a uh, governor who has resigned. And then somebody else gets appointed in his place. And then the next person wins the election for lieutenant governor. And, you know, he resigns. And then all of a sudden they appoint who they want in the place. We've had this since 2009 going on. And again, these people are running their own elections. It's a vicious cycle that we really need to break.
1: Yeah. And even um, in 2013, our current governor, um, who was then the lieutenant governor in 2013, the legislator passed SB 0025. And this bill, direct, it turns over all authority processes of our elections over to the lieutenant governor. And in this bill, there is even verbiage that states, in case of mass hospitalizations, all of the processes are handed over to Lieutenant Governor. And just remember, this is in 2013. So you fast forward to the scandemic. And the language
2: says, if there's a state of emergency, it says if there's a state of emergency, this can happen. So all of a sudden, seven years later, we have our Lieutenant Governor who was selected, never elected, running his
1: own election during COVID. And miraculously, he won. Yes. And they were very, very <sighs> adamant during the whole scandemic to keep us in a state of emergency.
0: Wow, you guys are really exposing the fact that they they knew that they could use that kind of emergency as an excuse to grab power, right? So, and, and you're also pointing out that the system's rigged from the beginning with the lieutenant governor not being a secretary of state and not having the checks and balances. So what is your solution to, to that system? Do you think reform is possible there?
1: Absolutely. I think our very first um, goal and our resolve is we've got to expose them all. We have to show what they've been doing for year after year and how this has been a coordinated collaborative effort to steal the elections from the the people of Utah and from the people of, of the entire country. They have stolen our vote.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what kind of records requests you did for the elections, and how what kind of blowback you got as soon as we get back. We're talking to Jen and Sophie of 2Redpills.org. and this question is for Jen. Tell us about the records request that you did for the elections. What is a project backup database, and why did you request that?
2: Okay, yeah, Sophie and I had decided um we had read the law and found out that if we had requested some some information about, you know, the uh, any information whatsoever with public records that we were able to preserve that data all the way through the appeals process. We realized then that if we asked for election data that we could preserve that through the retention required through the appeals process to um, not let them destroy it at the 22 month window. So that was kind of our plan. We split it up. Sophie asked for ballot images and tabulators. I asked for the project backup database and the cast vote record. When I asked for that project backup database, which by the way, is just a copy of the backup copy of the database that has the raw data in it. um, It, wow. um, The Lieutenant Governor, sent these te- text messages to a reporter, an, a non-friend of the Salt Lake Tribune, the same evening. And mind you, this is a problem because our, our grandma law, which is our public records law, uh, does not allow them to give out our private information. I mean, our, our requests can be public, but you can't just, you know, give out, you know, the rights of an individual to have privacy on their information. And so we have proof that she had written to this reporter, gave him my contact information, and they're having this exchange of text messages that we were able to get unredacted, which was um, great. They're, they're saying, you know, she's working with the Lindell crowd. She's working with Tina Peters. This is the same thing. This is bonkers. One of the quotes was, how the hell did she know what to ask for? Um, uh, Brian Shaw, the reporter said, I'm going to send my InfoSec guy on this and get on it. Well, interestingly enough, about 24 to 30, 30 hours approximately later from these text messages, I have two men on my, on my porch posing as uh, pest control, and they were walking the periphery. They were hanging out by my internet box. They were there for 20 minutes. Now, this normally may not be a huge problem for having pest control, uh, why there were two of them with no clipboards, no signs, no business cards, no car. Um, I was the only house they went to in the entire neighborhood. I checked with all my neighbors, except for the one across the street who was questioned about when I am home, and to let them know that I had a a, a pest problem and that don't be surprised if you see them in my yard again
1: and this is in the dead of winter Utah winter there's snow on the ground not a lot of pests yeah there was literally
2: snow on the ground in the middle of December it was it was it was bizarre
0: you, you do have a pest problem it's just it's a deep state asset pest problem and they were snooping around where they didn't belong because You, a citizen of your state, had the audacity to want to know what was going on with the elections, and they want this to be a black box that no one can find out. So why do you think the Utah government and all these officials don't want you guys to know about the election data?
2: Well, in in those text messages, the lieutenant governor says we think she has this information illegally and needs to justify having it. So I don't know if that was her justification to send men to to hack into my computer. I don't I don't know. But um, the problem is, is I don't believe. And there's plenty of evidence that shows these people who are running our state right now really probably did not win this election. I mean, Governor Cox, for example, is claiming to have fifty three thousand six hundred and fourteen more votes than Trump in a red state. Now, that that is a phenomenal accomplishment if that's the case, because first of all, we've only found 12 people across the state who voted for him. We've been looking for a year. The second reason that's a huge accomplishment is because that would make him the only governor in the whole United States in a red state who has outperformed Trump. No one else can claim to have done that, and especially not by 53,000 votes. And again, he's running his own election as lieutenant governor before then. So I think they've got reason to hide some stuff. Yes.
1: And, and we are the only red state that went to universal mail-in ballots. So all of those things so start what, adding what kind up.
0: Of, what kind of things are they trying to do to stop you here? Because you're not giving up, right?
1: Well, we have several court cases that we are fighting right now. Um, for example, we, we we filed a lawsuit for the data election returns that Jen referred to um, for three counties in our state. And now the lieutenant governor two times has filed through the AG's office to dismiss our case. She, she intervened. And what's really important is the counties own
2: the data. We have record of the lieutenant governor admitting the counties own this data. Yet somehow, when we ask the counties for this own data that they own, she has threatened them with a lawsuit if they give it to us. She has intervened in the in the court case, right? And then, like Sophie just said, has the attorney general twice saying we gotta get this dismissed, we gotta get this dismissed. Well, why can't we let a judge interpret the law? Um, you know, she came unglued when I appealed for the project backup database with lots of points of law that said, look, it actually looks like we can have this information. The counties wrote back to her and said, Lieutenant Governor, we did what you said. We told them they couldn't have this data, but we don't know how to answer this appeal. It's pretty compelling and dry and dry, except for one county.
1: Yes. Yes. So, and, um, Just really, why this case is so crucial and important is because every single state in the country besides Utah, the citizens of those states are being able to request and receive these data election returns that our Lieutenant Governor is denying us and stepping into lawsuits. Like, what is she so afraid of? Why can't she let the law or a judge decide? So we had one county that had a local
2: appeals board who spent almost a week, several lawyers on it, and they said, you know, we we have this case in front of us with you guys. We're going to study the law in depth. They did. They did their due diligence. We're really impressed with how much time they put into it, understanding it. They wrote back and said, you know, three out of these four things you're asking for, with the exception of ballot images, they said three of these four things, we can't see how the law says you can't have it. Well, it's interesting because we just had a court case last week the first hearing um, with the, the two motions to dismiss um, things from the attorney general. And it was a bizarre court case. Uh, the judge said that he was not going to dismiss the case, that he thought the attorney general's office needed more evidence for what they were claiming. The judge was concerned that um, that if this uh, dismissal was granted that it would give the lieutenant governor, it, my word is tyrannical power, you know, absolute power over the elections. If you can't get access to anything in the elections, what right does that? I mean, that gives them power to do whatever they want to do. Right. So he is saying this. Right. He goes on recess and he comes back and says, I'm going to dismiss the case Completely, he looked sheepish. He looked intimidated. I don't know what happened in that short period of time. All I know is that when he came back, he had done a hundred and eighty degree turn. He did not make eye contact, and he read a speech that, in my opinion, very much mirrored the attorney general's speech. Absolutely, it was it was a little bit creepy. And how he had time to write all that out is
1: bizarre to me. And and the most fascinating you can't win
0: them all all the time.
1: No you can't right and I the mean there's different fascin- counties,
0: different fights.
1: Yes, and the most fascinating part of that hearing was we had our very own um, Senator John Curtis, if you know anything about him, he was on that call in that hearing and we are we are fascinated to know who alerted him that we were in a hearing and why did why is he so interested and invested in an election hearing?
2: especially when the election that he just ran in is very, very suspect. um, None of the America First candidates won here in Utah. And they all seem to have a very similar pattern of how they lost. And when you graph things out, including Senator John Curtis's race. So uh, this we're stirring up quite a bit, I think, of questions that people are hoping do not ever get asked. And we were disappointed in that ruling um, with a judge. He contradicted some things he had said earlier. And he he basically said, anything that has anything to do with elections ever again, you can't touch no matter what. I'm like, that's exactly what you said you wouldn't say, like just right before this. But it's okay. We're going to appeal. It's not a problem. We're going to get a judge who actually wants to hear. I think he just didn't want to hear it. But it's that level of threat and coercion and intimidation that we're getting from the highest levels. We had our governor right after my project backup database request on uh, several days later put out a statement in the paper that said that people who citizens who question election the, the election at all are playing a very dangerous game. And that was a quote. You're playing a very dangerous game. You know, as men are on that's court, very you scary are when citizens Microsoft. can't
0: be involved. I think that's a dangerous game. But, you know, uh, you're going to keep on fighting. Tell us about your website, redpills.org, to redpills.org, how people can get involved because you guys shouldn't just be doing this alone, right?
1: Yeah, so we're at tworedpills.org, and two is spelled out, T-W-O, and on there, there is a PDF that people can go to, and it's a template of how you can request public records, what you can do in your very own county, because this is all starts at the county level, what you can do for um, for our elections. We
2: also have up there a couple of videos. We have not just information on Utah, but we've been able to get 30,000 or more pages of public documents across the county country that are showing the collusion. We have some videos up there that are starting to unravel what we're finding. So there's a lot more up there as well. So we would appreciate it, for it Thank you.
0: Well, you have some great tactics. They're proven. You've got victories under your belt and you're going to keep on fighting. And this is a nice model and template that people can use and replicate in their own states and counties. So thank you for what you're doing. God bless you both. Next, we're going to talk to Chris Paul of the Be Reasonable podcast. He's going to give us his insight into the fake arrests of AOC and Representative Omar as soon as we get back.
3: Inflation is out of control. The price of gasoline has doubled in a very short time, and interest rates are set to rise. How do you protect and grow your portfolio to make sure that you do not outlive your assets? Invest in annuities that have rate lock. Rate lock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax-deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate-free, and they can provide an income that you can't outlive. With all the different companies, features, indexes, and benefits which annuities offer, it can be confusing to choose which annuity is best for your unique situation. Let a company you can trust help you select a rate lock annuity that's right for you. Add an annuity to your retirement portfolio and start enjoying the many benefits that smart investors love. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. The Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024.
0: Chris Paul is a citizen journalist and former Hollywood insider. He's the host of the Be Reasonable podcast and author of his own Substack. Chris, let's talk about these fake arrests of AOC and Representative Omar. Just bizarre, to say the least.
4: Bizarre is right, man. I mean, at this point, how do you not look at this and think this is just a game? This is just a show. Like, we're being tricked. They didn't have handcuffs on. What part of that arrest was real? See, that's the thing I'm confused about. So they were setting this up the whole time. One of Ilhan Omar's staffers tweeted out a half an hour before the incident, members of Congress, including Ilhan, will be participating in a civil disobedience at the Supreme Court, potentially including arrests. So what about what they were doing would have necessitated arrests, right? They got arrested for... I guess, blocking traffic or something like that. And they pretended to be handcuffs. AOC has now come out and explained that as the proper tactic to take with police if you're being arrested, put your hands behind your back. Now, I was under the impression that no one should ever give an arrested person advice on how to handle the police. Like if, for instance, you're a black man who gets stopped at a traffic stop it is racist to advise that black man on how he should interact with the police in order to uh, avoid escalating the incident. But AOC just gave us all advice on what to do. Apparently, you're supposed to put your hands behind your back as if you've already been handcuffed and then walk with the cop behind you so that everybody knows the cop has handcuffed you and you really are arrested. Now, she's claiming that these arrests were real, and the evidence of that is that the Capitol Police issued her a $50 fine, which she then paid. So the legal system operates really quickly when it's a congressman and not when you're a January 6th protester who's still rotting in a D.C. Gulag, apparently. So I guess that that was the extent of her arrest. She was never... Uh, taken to any jail. They didn't go through that whole thing. I'm not sure there was a mugshot for her arrest, but you know, the really interesting thing is if this was a real arrest, why isn't AOC out there talking about how unjust it is for these police officers to be arresting peaceful protesters? She seems to be getting a lot of, uh, A lot of attention from this and she seems to be enjoying it she keeps coming up with other excuses about why this was a necessary form of protest and that the entire thing was legitimate i i I don't know doesn't look legitimate to me it's it's very good that you brought up the the they put out that almost like
0: a press release or a social media post before the event saying hey they might get arrested you know just kind of priming the audience for for that event and then Sure enough, the pictures came out, but the pictures were just that, uh, the photo ops, you know, and AOC is known for her crying at the border fence, you know, with those fake photo ops. And then when you zoom out, the reality is very different from the very uh, perfectly, uh, you know, manicured photo that ends up being released. But I want to play that Alien Omar uh, video again, because at the very end, Right when you think that she's uh, handcuffed because her hands are behind her back, she actually waves. So let's see till the very end of the Ilian Omar video again. (laughs) <laughs> and her hand is up so she wasn't actually handcuffed and she's the one who put that video out publicly so chris the question is why would she put out a video herself her team put out a video of her faking
4: being handcuffed that's the real question man i, I don't know and aoc did the same thing she she gave like the uh the the power fist or whatever you call it the communist fist um I don't know why they would put that out. I have to assume that they must have missed it. I mean, at least that's one interpretation. Otherwise, they meant to do it, and that's a much stranger path to go down. But assuming they just missed it, you know, this was a photo op. They took the video they were supposed to take. They didn't realize the video went on too long. They thought the whole performance was wonderful, and they just popped it right up on social media. I mean, that sort of thing does happen. You know, it could just be some kind of oversight on their part. Their social media team really wanted to get that out. They had set up this photo op, this, uh, you know, attention grabber for days. They were clearly attempting to do it. Her staffer released it with the time. They wanted the media there. They wanted people to see it. I guess that's probably it. What that says about her staff is, is strange. It's amazing to me that the squad members will always – double down on stuff like this they can never back off because the things they do are so audacious and that's the only way they can get away with it is by pretending it's all real i guess i mean if they were to admit that it was just a photo op it would kind of kind of destroy their whole image
0: i have noticed that pattern of behavior of them doubling down anytime they get caught in something but let's go down the rabbit hole and explore the other possibility because AOC just a few days ago said that the Capitol Police let protesters into the Capitol for January 6. So if that's the case, they were obviously not uh, trespassing if they were let in by the police. So she seems to be almost like an asset on our side. Like, are the is she was she a sleeper cell for the White Hats the whole time? I mean. It's starting to add up, you know, if you put all these different incidents together, either it's complete incompetence and they just don't know that they're contradicting themselves or uh, they are actually leveraged by the White Hats or working for the White Hats. Is that a possibility in your mind at this point?
4: I mean, listen, man, I didn't think it was a possibility that people were going to be wearing around masks that didn't work for two years and that people would still be doing it now. I've seen so many things that I thought were not possible that I'm to the point now where I try to keep an open mind to just about everything. I have not embraced that particular narrative at any point in the last couple of years, just because it seems so far-fetched and so difficult to carry out. But at this point, what else can it be? I mean, AOC was recruited to be a Congresswoman. AOC wasn't some political activist who really has a mind for politics and a passion for helping people who just went and got involved, she was recruited. She was casted in a audition process that mirrors what someone would do to win a role in a Hollywood part, in a Hollywood film. And uh, so from that point forward, there is some element to which AOC is a kind of operation. You can at least describe it that way. There's some degree to which she is fake. She is not an authentic character, no matter how you slice it. This thing, man, Is she trying to red pill people about the Capitol police and the very violent insurrection? I guess it's possible. I mean, if it's not a setup, she's still doing it anyway. You know, if you remember, AOC tried to claim that she was nearly raped on January 6th. That wasn't even close to true. She was in no danger whatsoever. And she went hard with that. I mean, she did the crying. She talked about how she was a survivor. That was pretty shocking. You know, what we know about the Capitol Police at this point is probably stunning to a lot of Americans who haven't paid attention to this stuff very much. The Capitol Police are not subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. They basically operate as a secret police and a praetorian guard for Nancy Pelosi and congressional leaders. They're the ones who direct the uh, actions of the Capitol Police. We saw just the other day how they are declining to bring charges against the Colbert Show staff, or what is it called, the Tonight Show now with Stephen Colbert, or Late Night with Stephen Colbert. It's so important to get these things right. So they're not bringing charges against Stephen Colbert, even though his staffers uh, violated all sorts of laws that the Capitol Police would normally prosecute if they were random Americans and certainly prosecute if they were Trump supporters. So, I mean, if they're trying to wake up everyone to the corruption of the Capitol police, to the corruption of the people running the Capitol police and to how much of a farce the entire thing is, they're doing an excellent job. If they're not trying to do that, they're still doing an excellent job.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, if I scripted it myself, I couldn't have planned it better for her to be red-pilling and awakening people right now. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about how Joe Biden announced he has cancer and the World Economic Forum wants to block out the sun as soon as we get back.
5: We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. They're not out to tell you the truth of what's happening. They're out to tell you the picture of the world that they represent. The mission of the Epoch Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements and facts, and prevent people from being misled. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would ensnare this country in ignorance, and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. Subscribe today to our digital edition at theepochtimes.com and join the Americans who are seeking truth and tradition. Read the difference on all your devices. We'd love to have you on board.
0: to chris paul of the be reasonable podcast and chris let's play this clip of joe biden announcing very off the cuff that he has cancer
1: off the window that's why i and so damn many other people i grew up have cancer and why can't for the longest time delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation
0: I'd have to put my money on brain cancer, Chris. Do you think that was just a dementia moment? Or do you think he, he let something slip that he actually is suffering from that?
4: Man, just like the last story, the truth is it's so bizarre. It's hard to come down anywhere on it. You know, could it have been Joe Biden misspeaking? Of course it could. He misspeaks all the time. It's hard for him to get a clear sentence out, even though he reads almost every sentence he says. He is either reading what he's saying or he's repeating something that he's been saying for 50 years all the time. There's almost no straying from those two things. And every time he does, he misspeaks as well. So all of what Joe Biden says is a mess. Does he have cancer? Did he just let it slip? I mean, I guess it's possible. The White House has come out and tried to cover for that. Those explanations don't really make a lot of sense. But now he has COVID. And they're saying that he feels just fine. I would think that perhaps his cancer is a, uh, a potential complication for his new diagnosis with the coronavirus. One thing that's interesting is that I haven't seen a lot of people on our side hoping for Joe Biden's death from coronavirus. Like we saw from the left when uh, Trump got sick in the late summer of 2020, you know, he actually went to Walter Reed and received care for it. And that entire time, Democrats were hoping that Trump would keel over and die. I'm not hoping that Joe Biden dies. I don't want Joe Biden to die. I want Joe Biden to live and sit in a courtroom and be tried for his 50 years worth of criminal corruption in office, in addition to his various perversions and wherever those have led. And I want to know that he's alive to watch Hunter be tried for crimes as well. So I don't want any of them to die. I hope Joe has a nice speedy recovery and that we don't have to embrace a world where we have to pretend that Kamala Harris is now president.
0: Well, I just saw that the NN reported that the Hunter Biden federal legation has hit a critical juncture, whatever that means. So they're putting it out there, the mainstream media is putting it out there that Hunter Biden certainly is being investigated for crimes. Uh, What does that
4: signal for you? Well, this has been a little while coming um, out of Delaware. I think it's uh, David Weiss who's uh, prosecuting that case with hunter biden and we don't know exactly what angles they're going after but i've been getting hints about this for three months now that something was imminent, and it seemed like there would be an indictment on hunter biden it seems to me like the media is putting that out there because they know something's coming soon i mean i'm not going to say it's going to come today or next week you know every time we think we have a proper date on something we find out we're wrong but Directionally, it does look like Hunter Biden will be indicted at some point. The stories about what's on the laptop are breaking into the media mainstream uh, at a rapid rate at this point. Um, The research group Marco Polo is the, uh, they're kind of the source of all of this information. Every time you see one of these articles released in the New York Post, the Daily Mail, and the Sun UK... That's all stuff that's coming directly from Marco Polo. And then the rest of the media begins picking those up. Uh, They've done an incredible job with this research. And I think we're going to begin to see a lot more of it as we get closer to them releasing the final report. But I do expect a Hunter Biden indictment. I don't know how that'll be handled. They might be, I know this sounds conspiratorial. This is just looking ahead. It is speculation. And I admit this is speculation. I don't have secret info, but A good reason to remove Joe Biden is that that indictment is unavoidable and Joe Biden would have to be in some way responsible or at least accepting of his own son being indicted while Joe Biden sits in the office of fake president. And that seems like a pretty uncomfortable situation for even this crack press team at the White House led by Karine Jean-Pierre to uh, tackle properly.
0: Well that would be another reason to let it slip into the open that he has cancer and covid and all these health problems because they want to get rid of him and all of his liability and his back. Well, let's talk about the World Economic Forum releasing a bizarre video about blocking out the sun as if people didn't hate the forum enough, they've given us a new reason, let's take a look. Most chilling part of that video was where they talked about aerosols being sprayed to reflect the sunlight where you know for decades so-called conspiracy theorists have talked about geoengineering about how we are being sprayed with chemtrails and that there are metallic, particulate like aluminum that are reflecting the Sun and so this seems like a soft disclosure any thoughts from you Chris?
4: Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could take it that way. I think that this is part of their agenda to bring us into this technocratic utopia that they believe a global communist order would allow. It always strikes me as odd that they have this quasi-religious obsession with trying to save the earth from the sun. It, it, It presents them, they imagine themselves even as... These superheroes who have figured out that if they just trust the science enough, then we can save our planet from the sun as the sun tries to destroy us. It is a very, very strange um, atheistic religious worship of scientific materialism. And it is always shocking to me, not only in how far they take it, but in how Obviously, stupid it is. I mean, these people fail at absolutely everything. You know that is the big picture on all this. They can try to implement their plans, and they can explain their plans, and they can get all of the very intellectual academics around the world on board with their plans. You've all Noah Harari, who's like the uh, philosopher king of this movement. He can write his books. They can all get all the expertise in the world and try to convince people that they're right. But every time they try to execute in reality, it fails. This climate obsession is, is really, really deranged. And, you know, there was an article in the LA Times last week, and I think it probably pained them to admit this, but the headline and the entire article was about the fact that solar panels are nearing the end of their 30-ish year life cycle from when the initial push for solar in california was made back in the late 80s and early to mid 90s so these solar panels are nearing the end of their life cycle they're being removed only one in ten is being recycled because it turns out it costs 10 times as much to recycle them as it does to just simply put them in a landfill So they're putting them in the landfills and they're actually contaminating groundwater with the dangerous chemicals in the solar panels. We found out the same thing was true for uh, the wind turbine blades, in addition to the fact that they kill tons and tons of birds. And neither of these energies actually produce enough green energy to fulfill the needs of the electrical grid. We saw that last year in Texas, and they're blaming the power outage in Texas from last year on extreme weather conditions. It wasn't extreme weather conditions that did that. It was the regulation of the grid that required a certain percentage of the power to always be produced by quote unquote renewables at all times. And so it was too rigid for them to adjust and people ended up dying because they froze to death after the power went off. These are problems with the green agenda. And the funny thing is, you know, they announced years ago that recycling doesn't work like the blue bins in Los Angeles that everybody throws their plastics and their bottles into after washing them. (laughs) Those don't get recycled either. The whole thing is a lie. Every one of the steps they've taken is a failure. They continue to pretend that all those failures are actually just speed bumps on the road to progress. And the way to fix it is to pump more money into it and to double down on all these problems. It is utterly insane.
0: Yes, and you know, despite the fact that they're doubling down on the climate change narrative as being the one way that they're gonna grab power, a recent poll came out that only 1% of Americans think that climate change is an issue that they even care about. So that's an indicator that you know we, the people, are winning the narrative, that people care more about election integrity than they do about climate change. Interesting that you know indigenous cultures around the world for thousands of years viewed the sun as a source of life, not as the enemy. And so these technocrats have the entire natural order. Uh, mixed up here. And I was interviewing another guest recently who said that this whole idea of space exploration and going to Mars and so forth is basically this whole transcendent version uh, because they don't believe in God. They have to believe in something, so they believe in going to Mars, uh, or they believe in aliens or whatever, uh, or themselves as a savior. Uh, So once you understand that, uh, when you hear Elon Musk or one of these technocrats talk about going to Mars as some kind of necessity, it does make you think of it in a different light because certainly my primary uh, concern is not going to Mars or ditching this planet, it's actually achieving peace and prosperity right here where we are. So thank you for bringing up all of those aspects of the climate change, Uh, and, and you're absolutely right there. So we're gonna take another quick break. When we come back, I'm gonna talk to you about what's going on in China because they are rolling out tanks, military tanks, to stop people from protesting at banks in China.
5: Government-induced inflation, taxes, rising interest rates, political instability. All of these can have a crushing effect on our investments, often causing the stock market to go down. But they can also cause gold and silver to go
4: up. Hi, this is Dr. Kirk Elliott. Buy gold.
5: don't let the government destroy your hard-earned assets any longer. Call 720-605-3900 or visit KirkElley
0: ...of tanks in China that have been deployed to stop protesters who want to get their money out, but they're not allowed to do a withdrawal at the banks. Let's take a look. That's right. There's a run on the banks in China. People want to take their money out of the bank, but they're not allowed because their deposits have been marked as investments that uh, the bank is not allowing them to take their money out. So people are protesting, they're showing up in crowds at at the banks, and the government in China is saying, hey, wait, do you have your your COVID QR code in place? Are you allowed to be in public at this time? And and then if they they break the rules, they send the tanks after them, Chris, is this a signal of what could be happening in a lot of countries the run on the banks and the militarization against the citizens?
4: It definitely could be. But before thinking about that, you know, whenever I see video like this coming out of China, I always think back to what we saw at the beginning of COVID, which was people dropping dead in the streets and massive orders of coffins. And we heard stories about people being uh locked into their homes and then even a few months ago we saw the lockdowns across China and we saw all sorts of abhorrent behavior from people we're told were uh police and medical personnel taking people from their homes and taking them to quarantine camps and a lot of the video that I've seen coming out of China you know I my first My first reaction is always to doubt its authenticity and to doubt whether or not what we're being shown is being shown in a proper context. Like those lockdown videos we saw a few months ago, I personally don't think those are real. You know, I look at what's happening, it seems ridiculous, it's overtly ridiculous. We're being shown that stuff by the same media outlets that for years were protecting China and the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. So I always approach these things with doubt. Now, to the substance of what you were just saying, we know for a fact that people are being prevented from accessing their currency in banks. And that's the critical part. Whether or not the tanks are related to that is secondary. Um, we don't see the tanks acting in any way toward the protesters. This could be a, a show of force to maybe tamp down the protests without exercising anything actually violent. Um, but the root of all this is that the uh the power these banks have when they are guided by authoritarian governments like this is something that we really should be aware of in America as a possibility that it could come here. We saw it in Canada with the trucker protests. Justin Trudeau and Christia Friedland were out there, uh saying it's a great idea actually to be able to stop anyone associated with the protests or with funding the protests, it's a great idea to just shut their bank, do- bank accounts down completely. That is a pretty authoritarian step. We should recognize where we are in the process toward absolute uh, tyranny when we see stuff like that. And I don't believe that Americans do totally understand that. Uh, certainly not any of the ones that would be watching MSNBC or CNN on any regular basis.
0: Well, speaking of authoritarian power grabs, you've got all of these uh, leaders in Europe resigning, and the people who mm-hmm. seem to be lining up to take their place are World Economic Forum stooges. So, w- how do you interpret this, Chris?
4: Well, I guess there's a couple ways to interpret it. You know, our inclination is to see these. Uh, you know, people's movements around the world uh, rising up, whether it's in the Netherlands or Italy or uh, Sri Lanka or any of the other places that we've seen it over the last two years, that is always an inspiring sign when we're viewing it from the outside. But we also have to keep in mind that part of the playbook that we are subject to right now and that many countries around the world have been subject to in the last 30 or 40 years, uh, George Soros's currency manipulations, the color revolution playbook, and infiltration with these uh, communist Marxist organizations. We saw all of this in the United States of America. If you were viewing U.S. news in 2020 from uh, another country around the world, you would see these protests. You would believe the United States is one of the most racist places in the world to live, when in fact, it's the least racist place in the world to live. And, you know, from an outside perspective, we would have an entirely uh, misinterpreted view about what's happening in the United States by watching Black Lives Matter protests. We know that that was initially on some level, a grassroots movement where people were sincerely concerned about the issue, which obviously they misunderstood, but their concerns were sincere and they wanted to go out and make their voices heard and they cared in their own you know, unsophisticated way about a more just society. But what BLM and Antifa ultimately are, are well-funded, well-organized domestic terrorist organizations that are happy to co-opt a grassroots movement. Now, do we see the same thing in Italy? Do we see the same thing in Sri Lanka? It seems like maybe we do. The new president in Sri Lanka is another uh, partner of the World Economic Forum. a uh, a banker. And the people, whichever people were part of the grassroots movement there, are not going to be satisfied with the new leadership. I don't believe people in Italy will ultimately be satisfied with their new leadership. And in the UK, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding there. People are saying that Boris Johnson resigned as prime minister. He resigned as leader of his party. And the two people tapped to potentially become the new leaders of the party, are both World Economic Forum, Young Global Leaders. And ultimately, though, we don't know if Boris Johnson will actually be removed as prime minister. That is a decision for the queen to make. It is not a decision that Boris has already made. He stepped down as leader of the party. Traditionally, the leader of the party in power is also the prime minister. But there is actually a formal role for the queen in this part of government, you know, we're raised to believe that these uh, royal families around the world are merely figureheads, but that's not true. They have a formal relationship with the constitutional government, which should indicate to us that their government is not like our government. They are accountable to a monarch at some point. Good point, Chris.
0: You know, something that most Americans aren't aware of. So we need to keep our eye out for these color revolutions, uh, these things that look like people's movements from the outside. But when you look closely at who's filling the power vacuum, uh, it could be someone devious who was behind it uh, pulling the strings. So, you know, the last thing, we got to wrap up here in in 30 seconds. But I'm wondering if you would give us your comment on BlackRock losing over a trillion dollars in the last six months, some people celebrating it. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, listen, I mean, BlackRock is ostensibly the enemy. So if something bad happens to them, it seems like it's good for us. But you got to take multiple perspectives on all this stuff. Same thing with the, the Sri Lankans deposing their president. You know, there's another view to it, and that's that Bra- BlackRock is investing other people's money. The other people, many of them, are just common American citizens who maybe have their money in a pension fund that BlackRock invests. There are real people who can be hurt by these losses and we're seeing that all across the board, no matter what issue we get to. Everything that seems and feels like a win to us is gonna come with some pain, you know, because all this stuff is so deeply interconnected and interwoven, you can't just cut one thread and expect everything else is just gonna be the same. So like everything else, we're gonna have to watch it develop and we'll see.
0: Yeah, it's better not to celebrate too early because I was watching as BlackRock was buying up all of the real estate in the United States and just pushing out people from being able to participate in the market. And now they they lose so much of their bottom line. And who's the one that loses both times when they speculate and then when they lose? It always seems to be the middle class. So yeah, let's keep an eye on that as it develops. We'll keep on questioning you. You're on the show once a week, so we'll get your, your thoughts as it develops. Thank you for joining us, Chris Paul of the Be Reasonable podcast. Thank you for watching AmericanMediaPeriscope.com. We are America's Patriot-only super channel. You can reach us at AmpNews.us. You can get my breaking news updates at SeanMorganReport.com and follow me on Truth Social at SeanMorganReport. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck.